in Ephesians 5. It'll be, I think, to many of us, a, a familiar passage. I'm probably to many of us going to preach a, a, a fairly familiar message in our series on uh, life in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. What does that look like in our lives? Um, but I want to tear it up with, I want to say two things before I start. <laughs> the famous speaker who said, before I speak, I'd like to say something. Uh, so just while I have the opportunity, we mentioned Lydia, uh, our new curate, coming next week. And what I'd love to say to you, to us, um, before, I don't want to embarrass her, before she arrives, is just to point out, in one sense, very obvious, Lydia isn't Pat. Um, and that's, a, that's an obvious thing. There is only one Pat. Uh, we're going to miss Pat enormously in all sorts of ways. And so it's really, we kind of need to just steel ourselves for that. Um, but one of the reasons why Lydia isn't Pat is that she's a curate. She's a curate in training. Uh, Pat came to us having done his curacy, and so he was an associate vicar. He was a, a colleague. Uh, and the assumption is that um, you know, Pat actually had loads of things to give to us and to teach us and to teach me. I've learned loads from working alongside Pat. Uh, and in theory, Pat had... Uh, I mean, we, we're always learning. But in theory, Pat had finished his formal training. But, but Lydia is placed here. What, how it works is the bishop says, I'd like you to consider having this person as a curate. Would you consider it? He says that to me. And I, with the PCC and others, we say, well, we'll certainly consider it. Uh, and we meet, and it's a sort of, you know, we do this sort of informal meetings and formal meetings, and we say to the bishop, thank you. We would like to receive Lydia as a curate in training. Actually, it's a real compliment. There, every single church in the area would love to have a curate. There are 96 churches in the, in the area. Just, just between you and me, quite a few of them are never going to get a curate. <laughs> the bishop said, would we? Like, that, receive that as a compliment. In fact, we'll act this out. Can you put your hand in the air? Everyone put their hand in the air. Turn it around. Drop it behind and give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> you, he, the curate doesn't come to me. He comes to us. She comes to us. And uh, the, the, so where Lydia is different from Pat is that we all corporately are involved in shaping the call of leadership and the call of ministry in her life. My first, the, probably the first year of my sermons were in my curacy. You may have views even now, but <laughs> I'll tell you now for free. The first few, uh, first few sermons, first year of sermons were utter pants. Actually, Tim would know. Uh, it, and I'm so grateful that I had a really good curacy. I had an understanding, patient, loving uh, uh, cushion of a church who kind of received this rubbish and then every now and then would just draw alongside and say, Tim, that second point was really good. I wonder if your third point. And they just gently and lovingly schooled me into what it is to minister amongst people. And, and kind of, that's what we're being invited to do with with Lydia. Will, will some of you consider having her for lunch or supper? Or she's got a flat 114 New Kings Road in the parish in the area, but she's living on her own. She, she would rather do that, but she doesn't want to be a hermit. So will you invite her out for drinks or supper, uh, include her, involve her, put an arm around her, and, and just love her into ministry? She's a really talented. Um, we're really fortunate to have her. She's done the Oxford degree in two years. She's a bright cookie. Uh, she's theologically trained up here, and, and the theory is that she walks it out in practice with us, and we help her with that. So that's, are you up for that? I, wonderful. I knew you would be. Uh, and so I wanted to still say that before, you know, I don't want to say that obviously with her, her here. Second thing, can I just say, as we, before we get into to this, um, I want to sort of hold up my hand here a little bit and say, 
I just want to be honest. Um, the toolkit the other day when we had Glenn Harrison, can you just could, if you, show of hands if you came for that? Thank you. Okay. I'll be honest. I've known Glenn some time. Uh, I was disappointed. Um, and I've been sort of thinking and reflecting on that. Um, uh, I think his book is really good. I thought he, he just didn't deliver on the night. I was disappointed on behalf of some of you. I know you're here. You asked a question. He invited questions. You asked a question. And he said, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to answer that. I thought, that's a good question. Um, why didn't you answer it? Uh, and I thought he was a little bit, if I'm honest, I thought he was a little bit, uh, I was a bit disappointed with the offering on a better story. I thought his critique was really good of where we are now. But when it came to a better story, so that by way of a segue, you're like, what is, because I, I believe we've got a better story to tell. And I'm, I, I kind of feel Glyn didn't really let us have it. Here's the thing, in this series, because I think it's, it's predicated on the spirit. I think if we understand the spirit, live the spirit, breathe the spirit, we will, we will begin to live the better story. We will be the better story, and we'll help one another in that. But I recognize that needs pointing out and teaching in a culture in which we live. So what I want to do for the next few weeks under this series is to, is to talk, talk again, just to revisit the excellent talk that Catherine gave and to kind of come in at another angle on how we, how we can know the spirit in our lives tonight. Then I want to talk a little bit next week about why does, it, why does what we know about who we are in Christ feel so different and, and frankly like second best to what's on offer out there? In other words, how, how do I live full of the Spirit in the world in which we live today? Or as the theologians kind of put it, how do I live in the now of the kingdom in the not yet of the kingdom? I've got so much of Jesus, but, but the kingdom of God is not fully here. And so there's this tension. And I feel the tension. And I feel like sometimes I might be losing out. It doesn't quite feel so great as over there or over there. How do we live with that? And I want to look at that theologically. If we understand the theological basis, maybe we can begin with a bit more robustness to live out and walk out the faith together. And then I want to talk about how Paul, he had exactly the same wrestle. And we'll see in his letter to the Philippians in particular, how uh, he comes to talk about rejoicing in his weakness so that I can know Christ's strength. Uh, that's very easy to say, but how do we actually get to the place where we can live that out? And I'm hoping that I can get there in the next three weeks. So you kind of strapped in, ready for the ride. So by the time we get to focus, hopefully we, we go, there's a better story. That's, that's my challenge anyway. We'll, we'll, let's see. I've put it out there. Let's see if I rise to that. Let's read this. Uh, Ephesians. I'm going to go Ephesians 4, verse 1, which is a sort of hook that starts the rest of this letter. And then I'm going to jump back in. Chapter 5, verse 8. So 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Verse 8, chapter 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll pause there. Father, through Jesus and by your Spirit, speak to our minds this evening. Speak to our hearts this evening. Water our spirit. Lord, that there is that strange compulsion in each and every one of us to lean into you, to open our lives to you. To live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A uh, little hangover from the morning. Some of you may have these leaflets from the, the morning. The morning are kind of old school, so they, they still do sheets of paper. So if you've got one of them, that might be helpful. Uh, don't worry too much if you haven't. Uh, I'll, I'll talk you through it. Two frameworks for, for what I'm going to say in the next few weeks. Two frameworks that I think are really helpful to understand how we can live now, satisfied now, live the better story now in the Spirit. The first is Trinity. We just celebrated Trinity Sunday two weeks ago. It's such a, it's a vital doctrine to hold that God God is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To to hold them together. There's something about. I think actually, the, as Paul would put it, the forces of evil in the spiritual realms that would want us to separate them out. Particularly when it comes to living out our salvation. What is it to be saved? What is it to be a Christian? And, and if I'm honest, we, we don't help ourselves sometimes. Our, our hymnody, our, our songs, the words, the liturgy often point to salvation as being all down to Jesus. I'm saved through Christ. Uh, I'm saved by his death on the cross. What Jesus won on the cross. He was the one that rescued me out of sin. Uh, It's through his death that I'm forgiven. And we we tend to think, therefore, that salvation is all about our sins being forgiven. Paul uses the the metaphor of uh, of redemption. It's actually a a contemporary word in, in Bible times of being bought out of slavery. You would go and pay a ransom. You go and pay a price, and you buy a slave out of slavery, and, they, and then you could take them home. And the trouble is, if we separate out our, our Christology and our pneumatology, in other words, our understanding of Christ and our understanding of the Spirit, if we separate them out and, and tend to look just at being saved, living the Christian life, being a child of God as being rescued from the marketplace, then, then we can do not much better than talk about ourselves as ex-slaves. But the reality of that metaphor is that not only were you rescued from the marketplace, you were brought into a home. You went from slavery to sonship. I'm not just forgiven of my sins and rescued from death, the penalty for sin, through Christ's atoning uh, death on the cross, although I totally am. I am brought into new life. I am in Godded. I'm spirit-filled and able and willing and desirous to live a life for God going forward. 
So, so I, I have to hold Jesus and the Spirit together. There was a, uh, we got a couple in the morning service, um, Jeff and um, Emma. And uh, she was pregnant with twins the last time I saw her. And she wasn't in church today. I said, Jeff, everything okay? He said, no, we've, we've just had, we've had two little girls born. Baby girls born Sunday morning. Amazing. That's how he put it. He said, we've had two little girls born. Well, join our family. He didn't say, oh, no, Emma's not here because she's ended her pregnancy. Although she had. But the way in which they t- she had ended her pregnancy because she'd given birth to two gorgeous children. We are saved by Christ in Christ and through the Spirit. And, and if we pay attention, like, you, you, like Jeff talks of Emma, forward-looking, if we, if we totally acknowledge Christ, but look to the Spirit, lean into the Spirit, breathe and drink the Spirit, we will have a much more rounded and rooted and, frankly, biblical understanding of what it is to be saved and to live for God. And that's the basis on which we can begin to explore a better story. Second thing, second framework. First was Trinity, second is this. Uh, forgive the word that my tutor at Theological College had never used this in the pulpit. So, eschatology. It just means end times. Eschaton is the end time. But it just beha- it behoves us not to live all in the here and now, but to keep an eye on, on, on spiritual perspectives. God's people have always been looking ahead, right from the very first times, always looking ahead to a promised land or to a promised Messiah. The Jewish mindset when Jesus came to speak and to teach his people was that they were living in the current age, the promised or anointed Messiah would come, boom, in some time in history and usher in the, new, the age to come, God's kingdom, heaven on earth. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A Jewish mindset would hear that as, yes, there's coming a time when the Messiah will come and will usher in that heaven on earth. And it took the early believers a long time to think, this, this Jesus guy, oh, he teaches with real authority. Not like our teachers, wow. They kind of flock, they listen. They, they, but they didn't imagine that, that Jesus was the Messiah. There's no very little record of him while he's teaching. He's just the rabbi or Joseph's son. It's after the death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit. There it is again. Christology, pneumatology. That eyes are opened. Ah, Jesus is the Messiah. And then they go back and they go, oh yeah, do you remember the parables? Some of the parables he he talked about the future aspect of the kingdom. There's some wheat and some weeds and the weeds grow up with the wheat. Oh, say the guys, should we cut down the weeds? Because look, they might spoil the wheat. He says, no, 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 leave it. It's okay, let them all grow together. And at the end of time, harvest time, there'll be a day of reckoning. Weeds, weeds rooted up, burned on the fire. Wheat then harvested. So there's a future aspect. Chili beans now, harvest is coming. And the Jewish ears thought, yeah, that he's talking about this age now. We've got to make do with a few weeds around us. But there'll come a time, future kingdom coming. And the, the anointed Messiah will be the one to usher in the judgment and the weeding out of the weeds so that the wheat can flourish. But then in that very same chapter, Chapter 13 of Matthew, he talks about the kingdom as being like treasure in a field. And the guy, he, he discovers this treasure. And he, he goes off and he sells everything he has in order to get the treasure now. Or, or a merchant who's looking for you know, the prize pearl. And he finds a pearl. There's the pearl. There it is. And he'll sell everything he has to get the pearl. The pearl of great price. 
bit, some of the bits scratching their heads. Jesus, why do you always talk in these weird parables? What are you, what are you getting out here? I don't understand. We get the future bit because that's what we've always been taught. And, and as the Spirit comes on successive generations and Paul and Peter and, and the early church, they realize, ah, Jesus is the Messiah who's not only talked about the future aspect of the kingdom, he's talked about the present aspect of the kingdom. It's treasure. It's a pearl. We can live this life now. We can have treasure now. Having treasure now is a good story? No? And Jesus said, he he began his public ministry by saying, the kingdom of God is near. Like, if you've got eyes to see, I'm ushering out the kingdom now, in this age. So there's a little diagram on the sheets if you've got it. Uh, sorry, I, haven't, I could have put it on the screen. But it basically, commentators, theologians will talk about this, this tension between the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Obviously, this isn't heaven on earth. If you look at your news feeds, if you just have half attention to what's going on in your neighborhoods, your city, this nation, our world, it's not, it's not my idea of heaven. So the kingdom is not here fully. But clearly, as I look at what Jesus inaugurated and set off, and look at the early church that throughout the ages has grown and grown and is still growing. Parts of South America, uh, India, China. They can't, they can't build enough buildings to house the Christians that are coming to faith week on week on week. The Christian church worldwide is growing. The kingdom is undoubtedly here. So there's a now and a not yet. Now what I want to do is in, in the following, I haven't got time now and I won't go into it now, but come back. Because <laughs> next week I want to explore why it is that we tend to get suckered into the not yet. And we convince ourselves because we're so, what we tend to do is we tend to slide to the not yet bit. And so then we begin to tell ourselves, oh, it, it, the kingdom isn't really here. Because I, I, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm really winning. And you look like you're having more fun. And that looks far better than what I'm told I'm meant to think about myself now. And all I want to say is that I'm, I'm not sure we've got our thinking right. And if we could just make our thinking, our theology, our, our, center our thinking on what God tells us about ourselves, in line with his plumb line truth about ourselves and where we stand in kingdom terms, we'd be a little bit more rooted to stand a little bit more robustly, confidently. And when we do that, oh, we feel the spirit growing in us. He, he, he becomes alive in us. And suddenly we see the world slightly differently. All that to come. Let me just say on being filled with the spirit, this, th- there's something about, th- there's something, there's, there's a clear inference from Paul here in this letter, and, and the New Testament writers, that, it, that just the way in which we are, it ought to be obvious what controls us, who controls us. Take a silly example, I know someone the other day, in fact, I think it might have been the, the, the very day when we broke all records last Wednesday with the hottest day of the year, whatever. He got a cold, <laughs> only in this country. Uh, he's, he's all blocked up loads and his sore throat and his eyes were all stinging and he's sneezing and spluttering everywhere. He was full of cold. I, I can't actually see a cold virus, but I could see the manifestation of a cold virus that was all over his body. It was obvious in every kind of 
way. He was full of cold and it expressed itself. It was obvious. He didn't need to tell me. And Paul here is, uh, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole of Ephesians, but the first half he said, look, this is who you are in Christ. These are your possessions. This is, this is the now of the kingdom that you can claim and live in. This is the better story. Now, this is how to live out of it. Chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The kingdom of God is here. It's, it's not complete, but it's here to stay. And we can begin to live in it as spirit people. So, and then various injunctions, various instructions. And he kind of has a number of contrasts. Look at, we started reading from verse 8 of chapter 5. You were once darkness, it's a metaphor, but now you are light in the Lord. Do you remember Jesus saying, you are the light of the world? He didn't say, you, look, why don't you try to be light? Here's an option. He just, it's indicative. You are the light of the world, he describes. You flick a light on in a dark room, there's not a sort of debate that takes place between the light and the darkness. The darkness goes every time. You are the light of the world. So Paul says, live as that light. Don't go darkness. He's setting up these contrasts. And so verse 15, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, another contrast, but understand what the Lord's will is. So light, not darkness, wise, not foolish uh, uh, or unwise, um, understanding, not foolish. And then this final contrast in verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which Debauchery is a yesteryear word, word, isn't it? But we, we know what he's getting at. If you're full of wine, then it, it impacts the way in which you think. It impacts the way in which you act. It impacts the way in which you speak and behave. Uh, I know no one here has ever been um, intoxicated with alcohol, but maybe you know someone who has been, and you've probably seen the impact at a party or something in the day after, oh, did you see so-and-so? Yeah, you won't believe it. Uh, it. You become the topic of gossip. Why? Well, it's just like my friend was full of cold. It was obvious. You're full of wine. It's obvious. And Paul, in the contrast, said, well, not that. But do be full of something. Be so full of something, so intoxicated with something that it's obvious in another way. Be full of the Spirit. Be full of God. Be full of Him. Tipsy on Him. Drunk on God. So that it, being drunk on Him impacts the way you think and the way you react and the way you speak and the way you behave such that people can't help but notice. Look at Him. Look at her. Because... Uh, when I bump into them or when I engage with them or when I hear talk of them, what spills out is evidence of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or faithfulness, self-control. There's something good and beautiful about that life. What are they on? They're full of the Spirit of the spirit such that when they get knocked or pushed in the office metaphorically or in the house or in a bunch of mates or 
whatever it is, the banter. It, it, it doesn't come out bitter or angry or resentful or snide. It, it just comes out joyful, loving, gracious, gentle, full of the Spirit, intoxicated with God. When we seek to live as within the dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when we seek to live out and explore what it is to live in the now, notwithstanding the not yet, but in the now of the kingdom, when we are full of the Spirit, we have the basis for living and speaking and sharing with others a better story. It's not that other stories aren't good. I'm, please, I'm not, it, just with slight reference to, I'm not saying that, he, actually, he, to be fair to him, he was saying, you know, you can spot virtue. I, there are some gay people I know, for example, just to pick up on that the, the, the issue on Tuesday, who are incredibly faithful, incredibly kind, incredibly good. There's, that, there's, a, there's a, a couple of gay dads who have deliberately adopted and fostered disabled kids. How sacrificial and honorable is that? So it's not that there aren't good stories. It's just that the amazing privilege of the Christian story is that there's a story that is even better than that. We tend to go binary. We tend to, you, maybe even now you're hearing me to say, well, if you're saying the Christian story is a good story, you're saying that's not a good story. I'm not saying that at all. There are lots of good stories around. The church was amazing with Grenfell Tower. The church was amazing, but Christians weren't the only ones who were donating and organizing and sacrificing to help others. There were amazing stories around. How wonderful that we can say in this instance, and the church was there too, in an extraordinary way. Extraordinary way. I'm slightly sidetracking here, but let me just, I've, there's a horse and I've jumped on it. I'm just going to ride it for a bit. Because how about this, just to honor our bishop, that in a, in a, 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 a civic borough, when there is anger and rage and a real need for political expediency. You know, the Prime Minister needs to meet with her people. And so a group of residents have a meeting with the Prime Minister face to face in one of the cabinet rooms in Downing Street. And who brokers it? Is it the local council? Is it the local MP? That's who you'd expect. That's what they're kind of there for. No, not a bit of it. They're not to be seen. It's the Bishop of Kensington. Why? The bishop, do you think our bishop goes, oh, yeah, I think you're out of the way. I think I'll chair this one. No, he, he's got the platform because the Christians have provided the base. Thank you, St. Clement's, the church in whose parish Grenfell Tower is, and others as well. But it's, it's not just the Christians. But there's, a, there's, there's lots of good stories. And all I'm saying is Trinity, the now of the kingdom, filled with the Spirit. We have an amazing story. We have an amazing story. How can, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Let's just look at this. It's, I think it's just key to say what Paul is saying in this tiny little phrase. Instead, verse 18b, instead be filled with the Spirit. Um, this is one for the grammarians and linguists amongst you. I've got to look at my notes here because I'm not one of them. That is, be filled, it's a verb. It's a second person plural, present continuous, Passive imperative. Thanks, Tim. No, 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 no. Second person, Paul. Here, here's the thing on that. 
the, the trouble with the English translation of the Bible is we have the same word for you singular as you plural, you. If we were French or German, it would be different. We would read the Bible quite differently. We would realize just how many of the you or, or how many of the verbs are addressed to everyone. This is a letter to the church, not to individuals. This is you plural. It's second person plural. It's everyone. In other words, be filled with the Spirit. It's not just for the people on the platform or the people playing the music or for the people serving drinks and tea. It's every single one of us if you count yourself a member of the body of Christ. There's not a kind of queuing system or a favoured people. You plural, everyone, be filled. It's present continuous, secondly. In other words, Catherine mentioned this the other day. Go on being filled. Go on being filled. If we're like sponges designed for God's spirit, you put a sponge in water and the, the, the sponge soaks up, it soaks the water. We're, we're designed as sponges. We're designed to, to soak in God's spirit, to be so full of God's spirit. But what happens when you take a sponge out and you put it into a hostile work environment or into a difficult set of relationships in a house or the sickness comes or maybe a parent is sick or uh, uh, worry, stress, hassle, there's not enough money at the end of the month and and you hold a sponge up and the water leaks out, we we kind of leak this side of completion. And so Paul knows that. We need to carry on to go on being filled and filled and filled and filled. Second person plural, present continuous passive as opposed to active we're not the subject of the verb god is this gift of the spirit this this gift this grace of receiving god is his initiative and he invites us to receive kind of kind of shoulders down don't need to try effort work ourselves up it's it's relaxed really i have a friend of mine i know when he kind of invites people into a time where they might become aware of God's spirit he just says be alert and relaxed I I quite like that phrase to to be alert to to God but relaxed it's not sort of we don't have to work ourselves up because God's promised to gift it to us gift him the gift of the spirit to us finally it's imperative which is simply to say it's not an option it's not a choice would you like this it's a command be filled In uh, a few minutes, we're going to, I'm going to invite us to respond. I just want to give you a heads up. I want to just create space. You can go to the side. If you want to come to the front, you can do what you want. I just want to create space for, for you to respond to that command. To allow yourself to be filled with God so that you're so full of him. You, you can think of nothing better than living his story in amongst your contemporaries and colleagues or friends in a way that that draws them to you via him there's a hungry world out there there's a desperate world out there we've we've seen it with this recent horrible fire you'll see it on saturday if you i i really want to challenge you we if if all we are as a church on parsons green is we hide in this weird building away from anyone else I, I kind of want to just hoist the white flag. 7,000 people. If the weather's like this, it's probably going to be nearer 10. 
10,000 people sweep across that green. And most of them think that we're about religion. Most of them don't even, a number of them don't even know we're open. They just think it's a museum. Most people, when they come as visitors, and particularly to this service, because they're expecting three little old ladies and a dog. I don't mean to be sexist or animalist. <laughs> and they come in here. And at any of our services, they receive a welcome. They receive, they receive engagement. They listen to the singing. They explain, they remember school assemblies. And there's passion and there's intent. And they go, what is this? And we keep it secret in here on a Sunday. And all I'm saying is, on Saturday next week, week, just an hour, you can go and just take Jesus and leak over them. Spill Jesus. I don't know what went on in your mind over there. I was just, to the pure, all things are pure. Okay, sorry, that wasn't a great phrase. But you know what I mean. <laughs> just, we underestimate, we underestimate how we come across. Actually, just on the green, because I've, I've done this two or three times, the, several times, the fair. Do you know what? It's really weird. You, if you look at the other stalls, I don't mean to diss the other stalls. They're all good stories. But they look so unhappy. You go around a stall and they, you know, they, do you want to buy my necklace? We, we just, are, just by the fact that we smile, it says something. And we greet and we say, hi, what's your name? Do you want to play this game? Do you want to try this? We're going to have a question box on, the, on, on various of the stalls. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? You're telling me people haven't got questions to ask God after the last three months in this city? Well, let's, yeah, let's write the questions, put them in the box. Guys, we've done the training at Toolkit. We've, we've talked about sharing our faith. You, you guys, full of the Spirit, you're telling me you won't be able to find a connection, a way of just engaging with that conversation? This is what I found thought Jesus was a fairy tale and then I discovered as I read the pages of scripture he was a real person he he talked of God in a way that I'd never heard of before this intrigue I don't know what, what that's my story I don't know what yours is what is your story rehearse it practice it get it out there Saturday on the green that's what a life full of the spirit looks like how 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 can I how can I receive God we talk so much of our singing and talk is, is, is in terms of a relationship, isn't it? You, you're a good, good father. That's a, and I, I recognize that that may be troubling for some of us, difficult relationships with our earthly father, but we aspire to a kind of close, intimate relationship with, with someone who cares for us and longs for us and protects us and looks out for us. Relationships. It, it's about a relationship. How do you, how do you start a relationship? If you're going out with someone, or if you're married, or if you'd like to be, what are the processes? I, I, when I think about, uh, when I started thinking about Joe, well, first of all, I noticed her. Ah. And then I just began to wonder. I said to myself, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what her interests are. I had a feeling she looked sort of quite sporty and... I thought, because um, uh, I was quite inspired, I thought there could be a common interest here. And, and then imagination began to kick in. I thought, well, I wonder if maybe we could share a number of interests. And I wonder whether, and I wonder whether she thinks the same as I think of her. And I, I wondered, and I played with that thought and imagination, and it, and it felt good. In fact, I was studying at the time, and I, given the choice of reading a 
book for an essay I was meant to be writing or thinking about Joe, I thought about Joe. <laughs> Quite a lot. So it came to a, it, can, it comes to crunch time. You, you, you can just kind of build, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> so it's kind of that first date thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of, it is a step of faith. So should we um, go for a drink or do you want to come around for a cup of tea? <laughs> we had to do it old school back then. We didn't have all the other gizmos to help us. So uh, was kinda, I was tongue-tied. I didn't know. But it's, yeah, it's kind of nervy. But here's the thing. I'd done a little bit of intel, and I gathered that there was a possibility that she might be open to the possibility of a date with me. So, so there was an element, I don't want to sound arrogant, but there was an element of ah, <laughs> expectation. You can do the math on, on romantic relationships on this level. Is it, is it so different with a God who has already said to us that he loves us? He not only loves us, he, he likes us. He made you the way you are to connect with him. Augustine, our, uh, our hearts will find no rest until they find their rest in you. We're, we're made for connection, for relationship by God. He wants us to come to him. Can you imagine that as a possibility? Those of us who've maybe not been there before, opening up our minds, our hearts, our lives to the very possibility that God might want to take his residence in our lives, live with us, in us, through us, in order, through us, to reach those that don't yet know him. It's interesting, isn't it? I, we, I, I'm coming into land soon, but we, we talk about, um, I, I wonder whether, Catherine mentioned that we're so busy, uh, it's a really good point, we're so busy we kind of crowd God out. I wonder whether also there is an issue of control that we, we quite like just, just to hold on to have all the cars. This idea of, of, of the passivity of that command, you know, be filled, to leave the initiative to God, is, is something, ooh, I want to hang on a second. But just on the, on the romantic relationship front, we're very happy to talk of falling in love. Falling. You're not in control when you fall. And what we're volunteering there is we, no, we, we want that. <laughs> I want to fall, I want to be head over heels, we say. Head over, I'm, when I last tried being head over heels, I wasn't in control. We want to be smitten, we want to be overwhelmed, besotted. We, we, and we, we want that on this level. Why, why don't we want to do it quite so easily on that level, as it were? To, to, to abandon ourselves to God. To, to be completely intoxicated in Him. Does that say something about what we really think of God? Maybe that's the thing we need to work with just even now, wrestle with, so that we can get ourselves to a place in this time, in this ministry, as we worship, as we wait, as we pray, say, God, you are, we sing, you're a good, good father, good, good father, we repeat it, maybe we're having to say that to ourselves, you're so good, I'll give myself to you, so that you come and live in me, and be the better story. those of you who surf or bodyboard 
just get, I asked this, at, I was preaching at 10.30, I asked how many people suffer, I was, you know, you kind of just, so that I can go with this analogy, three hands, three hands, you're joking, three people have surfed a bodyboard, I thought I haven't got another analogy, what am I going to do? Surf or bodyboard? Oh, you're too kind. So there's that bit, isn't there? When you, you get into the sea and you've got your board, I'm just going to go with bodyboard because I can't surf. I just, I've never been able to get up, so I'm just going to go with bodyboarding. Is that all right? But with the same kind of principle, you get there and you get out of the thing and you see where the waves are breaking and you kind of you spot them and you think, yeah, no, not that one, not that one. You know, that, that one, that one. And you can see it mounding and mounding and mounding. I think, yeah, that's the one. You, you position yourself. You get ready, get ready. In other words, there's a certain amount of things that you have to do. You kind of have to prepare to put yourself in the way of the wave. So there is stuff we do. Um, the bit about, you know, be filled. Well, get yourself to a place where you're ready to be filled. I, I want this. You almost you have to say to your mind and, and to your heart and speak to your spirit. The psalmist did that all the time. He talked to his soul. Soul, I, I, come on, we say. I, I want more of God. I need more of God. And God's promising to fill me. So I get myself in the way, the board ready and everything. What happens then? The, the waves are coming, 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 and you jump on the board and you, you paddle. And then there's that, that moment, there's the catch. And can you, can you take yourself back to your childhood or maybe when you first, can you remember when you first caught the wave? When what happened was your power moving you forward got overtaken by the power of the wave. Isn't that the most thrilling thing? When you can feel the power of the wave overtake you, so that no matter, it doesn't matter how hard you paddle, you're never going to go faster than the wave that takes you. You feel lifted, transported. Whoa! I, I just, I, it's still a thrill for me now. I'll whoop and wheel on my little body board. And then I kind of get up, and there's a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and I'm in the foamies, and I go, no. <laughs> it's still exciting. It's still thrilling. It's thrilling to be overwhelmed by a power that, it's from outside of me. That's what it is. But I'm talking about an inanimate object, the sea. This is, this is the good, good father who wants to, to take you and carry you and transport you to overwhelm you in that sense. So we, so we kind of paddle towards him and we paddle towards him only so that not so we keep on paddling and say, look, God, I'm so good at paddling. No, we paddle so that we go, ah, oh, take me, take me, take me. Yes, yes. Fill me with your spirit. So that I have insight and wisdom, that I live as light and wise, that I live a good and beautiful life, as we looked at last term, that I live full of the Spirit. When someone pushes me, I knock love, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, that I'm an encourager, an infuser, a helper. I'm a healer. I'm releasing gifts of the Spirit that enable other people to flourish as I surf him. Let's stand together.